and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. 2020 has been challenging for so many in this country, and as we reflect on the challenges that lay ahead of us, we are thankful for the relationships with you, our clients, and the partnerships we have with our communities and the small businesses that are the foundation of those communities. Looking at the calendar, one could assume there is little to move the markets over the course of this week. However, last week ended with a rather surprising announcement coming out of the Treasury Department, one which could have a broader impact on the U.S. economy over the next several months. As you may recall, during the height of the crisis earlier this year, the Fed enacted a number of new measures to counteract the tighter financial conditions that were plaguing the markets. Interest rate policy has always been the Fed's favorite tool, but since the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, interest rates had stayed historically low and were only expected to rise meaningfully over the next several years, at least based on pre-pandemic expectations. In addition, the purchase of Treasury bonds had allowed the Fed to affect the yield curve over the last decade but the March dislocation laid bare one of the intended or perhaps unintended and misguided consequences of the financial crisis, namely the limitations placed on financial institutions to act as market makers. What happened in March is that in areas like corporate credit and municipal debt, there are a lot more sellers than buyers, or at least a lot more investors who are looking to determine what the value of the bonds that they held given the uncertainty represented by COVID-19 at the time. What was missing was the institutional buying power that was formerly in the hands of proprietary traders at larger financial institutions. It became clear very quickly that unless a buyer of size was introduced into these markets, the tighter credit conditions would weigh on an already skittish equity market. Against this backdrop, the Fed made the decision to intervene in the secondary markets outside of government bonds, a move already taken by the European Central Bank and Bank of Japan in the decades since the crisis. The result of the Fed's intervention was an almost immediate loosening of financial conditions. Backstopped by the Treasury, the programs to target basically all of the investment-grade segments of the U.S. bond market were highly successful and averted a broader, second financial crisis precipitated by pandemic uncertainty. These programs remained in place throughout the summer, and many expected them to be in place for the foreseeable future, or as deemed fit by the Fed. There were some critics of the policies, of course. The massive increase in the amount of corporate debt in the system was created by this lower-for-longer rate environment, And the return to lower rates, coupled with a buyer of last resort, did not allow for the reset to weed out some of these less than optimal borrowers. The municipal backstop, which was tapped to support municipalities that have long had trouble balancing their budgets, was also at issue and was not utilized by stronger balance sheet states and towns. The Main Street Lending Program which along with the Paycheck Protection Program was designed to provide small business support, was deemed to be cumbersome to access and really never took off the same way PPP did. 
Still, the announcement last week that the Treasury had decided to recall the funds backing these particular programs from the Fed was disappointing, particularly given the second surge of COVID-19, the inability of Congress to get a new stimulus deal done, and Powell's own call for a widely flexible toolkit. Our view is that the support provided to the municipal markets was particularly important, and without a pledge of meaningful state and local aid coming from Washington, there is a risk that budget concerns could weigh on municipal credits, which disproportionately impact U.S. taxable investors, many of whom are already facing challenges in this low-yield environment. So while some of the programs that will no longer be collateralized had limited impact thus far, it is somewhat puzzling as to why the plug will be pulled now. Not everyone was disappointed by this decision, though. There were many investors, economists, and politicians who believed that the Fed overreached back in March and April, and that the job of the Treasury is to instill order into the process by ensuring that Congress's will is reflected in the outlay of the Treasury's capital. Because the benefits of the backstops were primarily sentiment-related, the actual funds which were injected into the markets were much lower than the caps on these programs. Of course, the other explanation is that the move is politically motivated. The last several weeks have been difficult for the country, as President Trump's campaign team continues to pursue legal challenges and apply pressure to legislators for a review of the vote counts in several swing states. The result is that the transition to a new administration has been delayed, even as we fight the pandemic resurgence. The possibility does exist that the funds could be reallocated towards a stopgap fiscal stimulus bill, potentially coming out of Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans over the next couple of weeks. And that would offer the fiscal response investors have been seeking. The challenge right now is that we're entering the most difficult period since the initial surge. This second wave is coinciding with the holiday shopping season, the biggest spending period of the year for U.S. consumers. Limitations on occupancy in stores and just an overall heightened concern from consumers about shopping with the rise in cases could negatively impact the holiday season and would therefore point to the need for any and all support for the economy, including both the fiscal and monetary toolkit. The other point is that Fed Chair Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin have enjoyed a collaborative relationship over the course of this crisis, so it was interesting to see Powell take issue publicly with Mnuchin's decision. The final point to make here, though, is that nothing is set in stone. And as far as what happens next and how to prepare for it, it's incredibly important to remember that these programs, along with all the other measures from the CARES Act, such as expanded unemployment benefits, that had worked so well in preventing an even deeper, longer recession, can be reinstituted by Congress at any time. The Fed stands at the ready to deliver creative solutions for the crisis. And if Congress can come together and act, then the economic support afforded by both sides will create the foundation for a sustained recovery. While we are admittedly facing down immense challenges on the public health side right now, the approval and dissemination of a vaccine or multiple vaccines is on the horizon, and the outlook for 2021 is much brighter than the one we've been living with in 2020. 
how this translates to economic activity, and whether or not the federal government can engineer a broader recovery that targets those hurt most by the pandemic remains to be seen. But the optimism that there could be initiatives to reaccelerate growth are not misguided, even if there remain questions on the efficacy of the execution. While our Thanksgiving gatherings may be different this year, we approach this week with gratitude. And from all of us here at Boston Private, we wish you and your loved ones a safe and relaxing holiday. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. Providing guidance and support as a trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and the year ahead by visiting bostonprivate.com. If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're there. And be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you prefer to listen. I look forward to coming to you again next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.